We'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, as we wrap up our January series. You will remember that our January series built off of our celebration of Advent, in which we remembered and celebrated and rejoiced in the birth of our King. And our series began at the New Year's Sunday, uh, reflecting on the glory of the King whose birth we had just celebrated, who continues to live and reign supreme bodily today over all things. And we considered what it meant for us to be a people of such a king and citizens of such a kingdom with the inverted values that go into play. And we've wondered how, as we considered being a people of the gospel. And today, I want us to consider why. Why? Why would he go to all that trouble? Why would he make a people like us? Who are we? And what are we doing here? With those words, read with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on that day of visitation. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word to us, his people, today, in this place at this time. So let us go to him in prayer. According to the abundance of your mercy and your steadfast love for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, grant us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe, lips to rejoice hands and feet to obey. Upon this, your word, the word of the living God. And we pray that, Father, you would protect us from error by the powerful working of your spirit, that your glory may be seen among us and that it may overflow from us and flood this valley. For we prayed in Jesus. Amen. This is part 817 of one single sermon. 
It was 15 years and 37 weeks ago that I preached this sermon. It is the same sermon. It has always been the same sermon. It has been one sermon. It has been unchanging in its focus and in its themes. It has been unwavering. Some of you, I know, find that very difficult to believe. But the challenge is for you to hear it. The question that I posed at that time and the question that has been before us for 817 Sundays is who are we and why are we here? This is not a Dan casting his new pastoral vision as he comes to a congregation or Dan recapitulating his pastoral vision as he leaves a congregation. This is the question that your king asks you. Who are you? Why are you here? Why are you here in this place at this time in this room? Why are you in this valley? You must be able to answer that question. Otherwise, we're just another gathering of people doing our own thing. But we are here by the king's bidding, for the king's purposes. He has designs on this valley, and that is why he has built this congregation. By his mercy, verse 10. Isn't this stunning? 71 years ago, this congregation was not here. And now it is here. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. The unseen God making himself visible in this valley by the gathering of this, his people. By the power of the resurrection. You are here because Christ rose from the dead. As much and as heartwarming as it is, the various and sundry reasons that are given for people's testimonies for being here. Brothers and sisters, remember, those are secondary. The primary reason that you all are here is because King Jesus rose from the dead. King Jesus reigns supreme over this cubic inch of his reality called Chattanooga Valley Presbyterian Church. And that is why you are here. You are a people 
for this valley by the king's bidding. You are not a people for yourself. You are a people for the valley. The comfort we have in the gospel is not for us. It's for the valley. The communion and the fellowship we have by the spirit in the gospel is not for us. It's for the valley. The new affections that we enjoy as brothers and sisters that we've given testimony today to today here, it's not for us. It's for the valley. The love of the gospel equips us with those things in order to compel us into the world so that this valley might be flooded. Hilda Morse was mentioned just a few minutes ago. I'm really sad um, for you that the Lord uh, took her. I'm glad for her that the Lord has taken her home. She ran a long and faithful race. One of the story, one of the things that I would love to do is go and sit with her in her little kitchen and have tea. And she would tell me stories of the valley. And boy, were there some fun stories. One of them is, I don't know if you knew it, but apparently back in the 30s and 40s, there was talk about this valley being Lake Flintstone. That TVA was actually eyeballing this valley as one of the valleys to dam up and make a lake. It didn't happen, obviously. And here we are. But what TVA has failed to do, our Lord is accomplishing now. To flood this valley with the glory of his love. That is why you're here. By his mercy. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That verse and that two couplets there and those two pairings are absolutely essential. The temptation is to say, well, we were once those people and now we're not anymore. Now we're these people. As though the gospel comes to erase our past. But brothers and sisters, our gospel does not come to erase our past. It comes to redeem it and to make it new. The hope of this valley is not that we don't have a past. The hope of this valley is that we do have a past that our king is powerful enough to redeem because that's what the people in this valley need to hear. That there were a people who were not a people and now in Christ are made a new people. That there, were, there was a time when we did not receive mercy, but now in Christ that mercy abounds steadfastly day after day after day. The why is found in verse 9. Peter uses several descriptors, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. The power of God's mercy poured out through Jesus Christ, what the Old Testament calls chesed, is that it makes us new. It changes us 
in every dimension. Feeling, thought, word, and deed. We feel differently as recipients of God's mercy. We think differently as recipients of God's mercy. We speak differently as recipients of God's mercy. We act differently as recipients of God's mercy. The language of chosen race, chosen generation, a chosen people. The echo comes from Isaiah chapter 43, the context in which we read, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen. We remember that happening, of course, Genesis chapter 12, in the context of Babel, The Lord comes to Abram and says, now you've seen what the nations are doing. Now watch what I will do. I will make you a special people, a people of my blessing for the nations. The Jews would have recognized, the Jews in Peter's audience would have recognized his language there, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, as as drawing on their own national identity. And they would have been scandalized because he's now applying it to a body mixed of Jews and Gentiles. There is a mission in this new chosen race. It is a mission of God's glory. And this people was chosen for that purpose. He didn't settle for this people. He called out to this people. He particularly set his love upon these people. These are the people that will show forth my glory. Which is really stunning when you think of the fact that even from the beginning, he says, don't think I chose you because you were good looking, strong and wise. Because just like Paul says to the Corinthians, you weren't. But I chose you because in this special way, I will show the glory and the power of my love to the nations. So that when they pass by and they say, what a strange people is this that has a God right in their midst. They would hear, as it were, the triune God saying, my point exactly. Because that is my glory. And by virtue of that, you become a royal priesthood, a priesthood of the, of the king himself. You remember the... Uh, Notion of priesthood is someone who is, stands in the middle of, stands between. He brings sacrifices on behalf of the people. He has a right of access into the presence of the God, or in this case, the presence of the king. He comes to God on behalf of the people. Do you understand that as God's chosen race, his royal priesthood, we stand in this valley visibly before the presence of the holy God on behalf of the valley. We sing praises that the valley ought to be singing. 
We celebrate the love that this valley ought to be celebrating. We live the love that this valley needs to know. Because we're a royal priesthood set apart for that purpose. We represent God to the people and the people to God. One of the things that I've marveled at is how Christ-haunted is this valley. Some of you who have read the email will recognize that language. It comes from Flannery O'Connor. And you've heard me tell the stories. I had a good friend who um, made some bad choices and found himself in county lockup, and I found out about it very soon after. So that I got there just a few minutes after he got there, and as I walked around the corner, he was still in the holding room waiting to be processed, and his eyes got so big. What are you doing here? How'd you find out? I said, well, I'm a pastor. I know everything. Because I'm a servant of the king. Really? Yep. A couple weeks later, finally got out, but he made the same bad mistake. I heard about it. And so I went and I parked outside the store. And as he walks out of the store, how did you know I was here? I'm trying to tell you. I'm a pastor. I'm a servant of the king. By God's amazing grace, he used that fear to soften heart. And he came to faith, and later we were able to laugh and say, Oh, your neighbor called me. (laughs) Nothing special. The spirit works in mysterious ways, but sometimes he works in more mundane ways. The thing that was so stunning is that all of us have this indelible mark of the divine. The the sense of the divine is what John Calvin called it. A Christ-hauntedness that leaves us wanting to believe that he is there, he has not abandoned us, and he delights in us. Brothers and sisters, you are here in this place, a royal priesthood of the king, so that this valley will know that Christ has not abandoned it, but loves it and wants to see it flourish. We're a holy ethnicity. We are set apart. We are distinctive. We are distinguished. It is God's holiness itself within which we are clothed by Jesus Christ that characterizes us. This is what it means that we are holy. In Japan, I walk around and the little kids would say, Ah, gaijin da, gaijin da. Which means, outsider, you're so strange, you're so foreign, you don't belong here. The valley ought to be looking at us and thinking there is something strange about that people. There is something peculiar about that people. 
There is something distinctive about that people. It's what scripture calls holiness. It's being clothed with the character of God and the love of Jesus Christ. That's how we go about our work as a royal priesthood. The ESV reads the next phrase, a people for his own possession. It's a fascinating expression. That's where we get the language of peculiar people. You're a peculiar people. Because people are struggling to um, identify what is going on there. But the language there um, has echoes of this special box of money that would be within arm's reach of the king in the ancient world. And it's a box that he had access to and he could do whatever he wanted with it. Reach down and grab a bunch of money, whatever it is, and use it for whatever he wanted. That's the special possession that is in view here. That's us. Out of all the nations of the world, We're that special box for him to reach into and grab and throw out wherever he wants for his purposes. And brothers and sisters, we have been thrown here in the valley. Because the living and loving God has designs on this valley. We are not here for our comfort. We are comforted for his glory. We are not here for our own fellowship, but we fellowship for his glory. We are not here to cultivate warm feelings and affections one for another, but we develop warm feelings of affection. We learn to love one another for his glory to flood throughout this valley. That's what it means to be a people for the world, a people for the nations, a people for this valley to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does it mean to live as a people of his marvelous light? It means abstain from the passions of the flesh that we're so naturally inclined to pursue. The suspicion that our culture teaches us to have one of another. The cynicism, the, the, the lack of trust, the unwillingness to actually believe that the God of truth is actually trustworthy. And that his wisdom is actually trustworthy. And that his inverted values and priorities are actually good for us and good for the valley. Abstain from such passions which war against your souls. A war against your souls for which the Lord himself has appointed leaders as instruments of his grace in your life to protect your souls that his glory may flood the valley. Brothers and sisters, this is a year of transition. It is a dangerous year. And your souls are vulnerable. 
Don't let the enemy rob you of your joy. And most certainly don't let the enemy rob this valley of God's glory. But love one another. Trust one another. Honor one another. Respect one another. Care for one another. Because you are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You are people of his own possession. For his glory in this congregation and in the valley. Our enemy is prowling about, brothers and sisters. And transition creates a very vulnerable time for a congregation. But our king is living. He rose from the dead. He's been about this work for a long time. He is wise and he is able and he is faithful. He will do it. Trust his wisdom. Trust his grace that is sufficient. Trust the leaders that he's given to you. Because it all redounds to his glory throughout this valley. And so, Father, we pray. As Paul prayed, grant us courage to know your love, which is ours in Jesus Christ, and grant us courage to love one another through a dangerous year, that this valley may look and wonder and sing your praises. For we pray it in Jesus. Amen.